great music for a creation event and also for Noah's Flood. <laughs> okay. Welcome everybody. Pastor Eli James here. And uh, this is Genesis to Revelation for December 25th, 2021. Welcome everybody. And today, because uh, we've been uh, going through numbers, and the chapters that we've been dealing with talk about uh, the flood and the giants that were uh, in the land at the time. So uh, we decided, and Dan can't make it today, so I'm going to just focus on the Noah's flood story. And uh, hold on, we've got some extraneous noise coming in here. I'll see if I can get rid of it. Okay. So anyway, uh, Noah's Flood Story by Bertrand Compare. And of course, Bertrand Compare, one of the uh, outstanding Christian identity two-seed line authors to uh, you know uh, grace this planet. And uh, we see that uh, it's one of those stories where there's a lot of debate between the non, you know, the pro-globalists and the anti-globalists. And, uh, of course, it was not, the, the deluge was global. I mean, it rained everywhere on the planet. There's no doubt about that. But uh, in the area of Noah's Flood, that's where it was uh, specifically very bad. Plus, we have a, an upwelling of water from under the earth, which you cannot say, well, that this happened everywhere on the planet. No, there's no, no evidence that that happened. So uh, I posted the link to uh, the ensignmessage.com. Noah's Flood Was Not Worldwide by Bertrand Compare, who says this, Among the many mistaken and unscriptural notions commonly taught in nearly all churches is the idea that the flood mentioned in the Bible covered all the earth. It states everybody on earth was drowned excepting Noah and his family, who escaped death by being in the ark. Many churches have firmly insisted the Bible says this, when there is ample proof that the flood was not worldwide. With this teaching, the churches have destroyed the faith of multitudes of people. Yeah, the, the churches destroyed the faith of many people who would come into uh, Christianity, especially into identity, because uh, it just makes no sense. It doesn't jive with the historical record. But I guarantee you that the um, historical record, uh, geology, archaeology, etc., all tell us that there was a non-global flood. There, the, the, the deluge was global, but the flood was not. Although it did, even the Chinese records state that uh, the at the time of Noah's flood, the Waters raised up nearly to the source of the Yellow River, but did not cover the hills or mountains, uh, which are the origin of the Yellow River. So every culture on the planet has a flood story, legend, myth, you name it. And this, again, is proof that it was, unless you believe that all the races uh, formed after Noah's flood and they spread out to the, all these different parts of the world, Right after Noah's flood, how'd they get there? Who created them? Who begat them? <laughs> right? I mean, the, the problems with this teaching are just manifold, absolutely manifold. Anyway, he continues, with this teaching, the churches have destroyed the faith of multitudes of people. That is correct. 
They have made atheists or agnostics out of hundreds of thousands of people, especially young people, who might have become active Christians if they had only been taught the truth about the Bible. In Genesis chapter 6, we read that Yahweh found the people so corrupt, he regretted he had ever created them, so he decided to wipe them out by a flood. He warned righteous Noah of the coming flood and told Noah to build a great boat or ark. And now this is nothing but a flotation device, folks. It, it, there is no navigable uh, you know, in, instruments on this boat. It was just a flotation device that uh, was designed to uh, k- uh, keep uh, Noah and his family uh, above the waters or on the waters for a period uh, of time. And that's all it was for. Uh, no way he could navigate this boat, okay? He warned righteous Noah of the coming flood and told Noah to build a great boat or ark in which he and his family might find safety and where they might preserve a few of each kind of, a few, that's right, a few of each kind of the animals from that area. Genesis chapter 7 tells us how Noah received the final warning. The time was now at hand and he should move into the ark. Now, by the way, <laughs> we're under similar circumstances now. Yahshua says, it shall be as in the days of Noah and the race mixing that was going on on the planet, especially with the fallen angels coming in to mate with the daughters of Adam, that is, with the Adamic white women. That's what the word Adam there means. It means Adamic white women. And, uh, of course, that had gotten out of hand. It's almost at the point where it's getting out of hand in the modern world, okay? The uh, propaganda, the pro-race mixing propaganda, not to mention the genetic engineering that's going on, is, uh, yeah, it's just like as it was before Noah's flood. It's happening all over again on a global scale. This time it is it's global. But Yahweh promised that he would not destroy the land not the entire planet, the, the land, Eretz means land, and uh, it doesn't mean planet. It's actually a different word that means planet, and uh, Pastor Steve uh, uh, had did a, done a show on this, and he, he confirmed that that is a different word for planet. Anyway, then it says, according to the King James Bible, quote, And it came to pass after seven days that the waters of the flood were upon the earth, in the, okay, again, that's the earth. You can't assume that the word earth means planet. In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, the 17th day of the month, the same day were all the fountains of the great deep broken up and the windows of heaven were open. So we're, we're being told that the fountains of the great deep, that is the aquifer water underneath the ground, because there was earthquakes also along with the downpour, and those earthquakes uh, opened up the aquifer water, and that came up and helped raise the, flood, uh, the, the ark. And the rain was upon the earth forty days and forty nights, and the waters prevailed, and were increased greatly upon, I'm going to translate it here as it should be, upon the land. And the ark went upon the waters, and the waters prevailed exceedingly upon the land, and all the high hills that were under the whole heaven were covered. Again, okay, the high hills is not bad. It's not mountains. It doesn't say Mount, Mount Everest was covered. Fifteen cubits upward did the waters prevail. So a cubit is roughly the length from your, your elbow to the tip of your fingers. It's about two feet. 
so it's only telling us that 30 feet, that the waters only prevailed about 30 feet, and the mountains were covered, and all flesh, uh, depending on where Noah's ark was, so if the ark raised 30 feet, it would not have, uh, certainly not have covered Mount Everest. And all flesh died that moved upon the land, both of fowl and of cattle, and of beasts and every creeping thing that creepeth upon the land, and every man. And the waters prevailed upon the land an hundred and fifty days. And Yahweh remembers Noah and every living thing and all the cattle that were with him in the ark. And Yahweh made a wind pass over the earth, and the water assuaged. And the waters returned from off the earth, a land continually, and after the end of the 150 days, the waters were abated. And the ark rested in the seventh month, and on the 17th day of the month, upon the mountains of Ararat. It could, it could have been translated hills of Ararat here as well. And the waters decreased continually until the 10th month. In the 10th month and the first day of the month were the tops of the mountains seen. So we're only, obviously, we're only talking about the local area that... Noah and the ark were in. So, uh, continuing with Compare. First, let us see what the translators have done to what Moses originally wrote. Remember, the King James Bible says that the rain was upon the earth, and the waters increased greatly upon the earth, and all flesh died that moved upon the earth. Definitely not, he says. Remember that in Genesis 4.14, when Yahweh has driven Cain away in punishment for his murder of Abel, the King James Bible quotes Cain as saying, Behold, thou hast driven me out this day from the face of the earth. So what did Cain do? Climb into his rocket ship and take off for outer space? Of course not. He was not driven from the face of the earth, and he never said so. Only the translators said so. The word Cain used was Adama, meaning the ground, Yahweh had told him that his farming would no longer be successful. So, Cain, thou hast driven me off the ground. You have probably noticed that Cain's descendants today are not farmers. <laughs> they run pawn shops and other money-lending institutions. Oh, that's right, pawn shops are money-lending institutions, too. Okay, so you really have to be careful what uh, what words you are using to translate uh, the text. And, uh, and what Compare is saying is absolutely true. The context of that passage is Cain being driven off the face of the ground that he wasn't able to tell <laughs> because he didn't want to be a farmer, <laughs> right? He did not want to be a farmer. And neither do Jews. There's no such thing as a Jewish farmer. There's no such thing as a Jewish carpenter either. So you have to understand, you have to be, well, logical, common sense. Is there any common sense anymore, <laughs> right? Okay, anyway, good morning, everybody in the chat room. Hi, Mary. Uh, and uh, we, we are in the uh, throes of, well, uh, COVID, like COVID language. Uh, again, word monsters, the... Uh, the words they, that people choose to describe what's going on are very important. And the, the word virus has undergone a tremendous change in meaning. It used to simply mean toxin. 
And that's actually what viruses are. They are mere toxins. They are not living entities. And uh, I did a show about six months ago showing that the the medical community is at odds as to whether viruses are alive or dead. There was no proof that viruses are living things. Never has been. Okay, but uh, nevertheless, they have to maintain the fiction that they can move around, invade your cells, and make you sick in that way. No, they don't. They're just flotsam, the flotsam and jetsam of uh, your the fluid that uh, surrounds your body, that uh, pervades your body, and the ins and outs of the interstitial fluid, amniotic fluid, etc., etc. It's just uh, random stuff floating around, debris. That's what viruses really are. They're nothing but debris. Anyway, uh, getting back to uh, Compare here. When we come to Genesis chapter 7, where it is talking about the flood, wherever it says the flood covered the earth, the Hebrew word used in the original writing by Moses was Eretz, meaning the land. The flood did not cover the particular land where it occurred. Oh, I'm sorry. The flood did cover the particular land where it occurred. It was a local flood which covered one particular region or land, not the whole earth. But again, the Judeo-Christian ministry does not do any word studies. They simply take the modern perception, and this is a modern perception because the word earth in the modern world has come to mean the planet earth, which it did not mean (laughs) to Moses. It did not mean that to Moses. It simply meant dirt the land, the territory. Notice that it specifies, quote, 15 cubits upward did the waters prevail, and the mountains were covered. In ancient times, two different lengths of the cubit were in use, the sacred cubit of 25 inches and the common cubit of 20 and 5 eighths inches. Therefore, the waters rose above the tops of the mountains. It is speaking of either 25 feet 9 inches or 31 feet 3 inches, according to which cubit you use. If this meant that all the mountains on the earth were covered, the waters would have to cover Mount Everest, which is nearly 6 miles high. Uh, Therefore, all the earth would be covered by water 6 miles deep. In that case, where could it have run off to when the flood subsided? Now, that's a good question, because uh, the numbers... In, uh, where it talks about, or even in Genesis, where it talks about Noah's flood, uh, the the word translated as "run off," you know, uh, it didn't say evaporate. Okay, it didn't say evaporate. It said run off. It it ran down the hillside, uh, and it's quite possible that uh, whether you believe in the Terran Basin theory or the Mount Ararat, where where the uh, the ark uh, took off, for lack of a better expression, could have been like a bowl-shaped area where you know water would prevail in that bowl-shaped area until the, it got so high that the uh, water spilled over one area of the bowl. And that would have, if it was at the Terran Basin, then it would have been to the southwest and the ark would have floated in that direction until it landed in the hills of Ararat. Okay. So, or if it started in northern Mesopotamia, 
then uh, there, there's plenty of areas that would qualify as a bowl-shaped area where uh, such rainwater and upwelling of aquifer water could have done the job as well. So there's, there's no shortage of areas like that. So, in fact, uh, in America, the uh, whole area in which the Great Lakes were created or formed, there was a wall of ice, or it could be um, certainly glacier activity, and uh, it's certainly possible that uh, there was water behind that wall of ice, and when that wall of ice began to break and the waters were melting behind it, to me, that's what actually formed the Grand Canyon, the waters rushing down at great speed, carrying boulders and, and pebbles and stones and carving out areas. So we've got rivers all over the planet that have been running for thousands of years, and they haven't gouged out any, any uh, caverns or uh, canyons. There had to be a tremendous volume of water to carve out a canyon like the Grand Canyon and other canyons around the world. The America, the western part of America, is just loaded with these types of canyons. Anyway, so when you see that the cubit, you have to have some idea what a cubit is. And it seems like the Judeo-Christian theologians don't care what a cubit is, <laughs> right? They just assume that the uh, waters covered the entire planet, including Mount Everest, and uh, therefore, what happened to the six-mile-deep uh, pool of water, right? They don't think about things like this. So, the translators took the Hebrew word Eretz, which means that land, and mistranslated it to mean the whole world. And I think, uh, obviously, this is a, a modern interpolation or interpretation of the, the record of Moses. And uh, it's really obvious, well, for example, the uh, Gilgamesh epic, which is another account of the flood from the same time by another person. And, uh, you know, the uh, accounts differ dramatically in their co content, but the context is the same. It was around that time. And so what we have, uh, Gilgamesh is up toward India, where there would be really high mountains, and uh, you could have uh, another bowl-shaped area, like Shangri-La. <laughs> Shangri-La would be a bowl-shaped area that, uh, you know, in fact, it, that still exists. It still exists. And uh, the, that's a very isolated part of the planet. And uh, you could easily have a, a flood occur there locally and, uh, you know, ha have this type of event develop, Okay. And even even there, you know, let's say there is, uh, talking about Shangri-La in India, uh, if you have an earthquake and you have a current river that flows out of that area, well, an earthquake could block that river and uh, you could have water going up higher and higher and higher, okay, w with a substantial amount of rain. So, so, uh, so in any case... If six miles of water covered the whole earth, then all nations must have been ex completely exterminated. However, Babylonian, Egyptian, and Chinese history runs right through this period without a break. The Bible gives the date of the flood as commencing about 2345 B.C. That's easy to remember, 2345, and ending in 2344 B.C. 
in Lower Sumer, later called Chaldea, which occupied the same plains of Shinar to which Noah's family journeyed after the flood. The city of Ur of the Chaldees was the leading city from about 2400 BC until 2285 BC. Any flood does not break its history in this period. I'm not, uh, that's a poorly worded sentence. I think there's got to be a, uh, a problem here. Anyway, th- these, I think he's talking about by the word it's, he's the history of Chaldea or the plains of Shinar. No flood, he should say, no flood breaks the history of this area, period. Farther to the north, Babylon was rising to power from about 2400 BC and on and reached a great height of civilization under the famous king Hammurabi, who lived at the same time as the Hebrew patriarch Abraham, about 2250 B.C. There is no break in this history due to a flood. Or I would put it this way, there is no uh, major catastrophe that uh, killed all the people, because it's obvious that the population of this area and actually the rest of the planet was not reduced to zero. Okay? Uh, Noah and his offspring had to be uh, populating like crazy in this 200-year period. We're we're only talking a a few years after the flood. A hundred years at most. There are these uh, kingdoms and civilizations you know, came back in, into play. So, obviously, what happened was they ran to higher ground, and after the flood was over, they came back down, because that was a very fertile area. And they may have had to live in the mountains for a while, but it certainly didn't destroy all these all these kingdoms. Certainly not. Okay? The 11th dynasty, well, there's no break in, in this history due to a flood. In Egypt, the 11th dynasty began to reign about 2375 B.C., which is 30 years before the the recorded flood, over a great and powerful nation. The 11th dynasty ruled to about 2212 B.C. and was followed by the 12th dynasty, which ruled to about 2000 B.C. There was no break in the 11th dynasty at the time of Noah's flood, 2345 B.C., the nation continued to be large and powerful throughout this period, and there is no rec- record of the flood in Egypt. It was just too far away from the territory of Noah's flood to be affected. That is the reality. So, and then, you know, there's more stuff about the cubit. You know, how, how long was the ark? How big was the ark? And uh, th- I think it was uh, 300 cubits. That's only 600 feet, folk. How, how are you going to put millions of species, <laughs> of animal species, on a ship that's only 600 feet long? It's incredible. Okay. Let's continue. Accurate history of China begins nearly 3000 BC. The Shu King historic record of China shows that King Yao, Y-A-O, came to the throne in 2356 B.C. 11 years... Okay, hold on, folks. I lost my uh, place here. Stupid uh, cursor left the page here. 
Okay, so, uh, alright. Okay, here we go. Found it. Okay. Yao and, uh, came to the throne in 2356 BC, 11 years before the start of Noah's flood, and ruled China for many years after the flood. During the reign of Yao, the Shu king reports that the Huanghou River, which drains the mountains and a great basin in Xinkiang province, had excessive floods for three generations. Here again, there was no break in history. The Chinese nation was not wiped out. Its own records showed continued in existence right through the period of Noah's flood. Therefore, the Bible is correct in stating that the flood covered only Eretz, that is, the land. The translators are wrong when they change the meaning of what Moses really wrote in Genesis chapter 7 and say the flood covered all the earth. And even since the word simply means land or territory or dirt, <laughs> right? An arable land was uh, the, the most important type of land. Uh, the, they substituted, or and, and just about everybody has substituted the modern meaning of the word earth, which typically is a reference to the planet, as opposed to the meaning that it has in scripture, which simply means land or ground. This leaves us ready to inquire where the flood did occur. For this, we will have to start with Adam and Eve and trace where they and their descendants went. They started out in the Garden of Eden. Genesis 2, 10-14 tells us that a river went out of Eden, and this river divided into four streams. It names these four rivers, Pison and Gion, neither of which can be identified among the rivers existing today, although there is uh, evidence from uh, way high in the sky, right, uh, uh, tracking and uh, uh, from the very high in the sky, you can see that there are dried up riverbeds in Saudi Arabia. Two of them, actually. And uh, so, but uh, this is information not available to, uh, to Pastor Compare. So he uh, he makes a, an assertion that it was uh, the Tarim Basin, but let's continue. Uh, so, uh, and then. Hedekel, which is the ancient name of the Tigris and the Euphrates rivers. The Tigris and Euphrates rise in what is today extreme southeastern Turkey, a little north of modern Iraq. Making some allowances for the fact that many rivers have changed their courses considerably in the passing of several thousand years, this still placed the Garden of Eden at the northern end of ancient Akkad. Okay, very good. And it could have been further to the north of that. It could have been uh, where we would call today southern Russia, southeast Russia, the Great Plains of, uh, oh, what do they call them in that area? Not not the Veld. <laughs> that's what they, that's the term they use in South Af in Africa, South Af South Africa, the 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 Great Flat Plains of. Uh, Southwest Russia, Southeast Russia, and uh, which is surrounded uh, by mountains on virtually every side, but it's a huge, huge area, and that could be the starting point of Noah's flood as well. Anyway, let's continue. When Adam and Eve were driven out of the Garden of Eden, 
Genesis 3.24 tells us Yahweh placed the cherubim with a flaming sword at the east side of the Garden of Eden to keep Adam and Eve from returning and having access to the Tree of Life. If this guard was to accomplish anything, it must have been placed between Adam and the Garden of Eden. So we see that Adam and Eve were driven out to the east. Yes. From Eden, Adam's course would naturally have led him across northern Iran, around the southern end of the Caspian Sea, into what was formerly called Chinese Turkestan, and is today known as Sinkayan Province in the extreme west of China. In the southern part of Sinkayan, there is a great basin, rimmed by high mountains on all sides, with an outlet on the eastern end of it. Well, we need a, an outlet on the western end <laughs> for to get from uh, China to Turkey. We need an outlet on the western end, and there could have been at the time, which uh, we've had so many earthquakes in the interim that that area could have been blocked. Uh, and he says, with an outlet on the eastern end of it, through the mountains where the headwaters of the Huangho River, the Yellow River, rises. This basin is nearly all desert today, but it bears evidence of a fertile and heavily inhabited past. So does the Sahara Desert, folks. The Sahara Desert, underneath all that sand, shows that it was once a flourishing paradise, very fertile land. And there were cities down there, all covered by the sand of the Sahara. So there's all kinds of history that is is proven by archaeology and geology, which the, the, let's call them the young earth creationists ignore. And then, uh, so all this territory was inhabited. The, the, the entire earth has been inhabited for millennia, even before Genesis 1, as I have stated on many times uh, occasionally. And uh, uh, proven that uh, Genesis 1, 2, 3, etc. are talking about the recreation. The earth was replenished, and there was a great catastrophe uh, that... Uh, Plato says there used to be a a, a, a a continent called Atlantis which sank. And there's all kinds of evidence of prehistoric temples underneath the sea, in the Atlantic, in the, the Gulf of Mexico, etc., etc. And also in the Pacific. So, and then these, uh, the archaeologists want to poo-poo this uh, information as well because that doesn't uh, jive with their fable of evolution. So we have the evolutionists and the young earth creationists both militating against true geology and true archaeology. So this is the situation we're in today. So, explorers have found ruins of ancient cities uncovered by the drifting sands of the desert. <laughs> okay. Also, the known geological structure shows, in ancient times at least, beneath this desert lay enormous underground natural reservoirs, caverns filled with water. It is the same geological structure which furnishes artesian well water in many parts of the world today. Yeah, and uh, the, the more we tap into that artesian water, the more we deplete it, and, uh, you know, there's a lot of places on the planet where they're running out of this uh, underground water because they've been using it to uh, water their crops. These underground reservoirs were covered by waterproof layers of rock. Well, I wouldn't say exactly waterproof, but, uh, you know, the, 
when you have cracks in the earth, they typically fill with debris, and so uh, water trickles down. It doesn't r- rush in there. It, t- it trickles down, and that's how these aquifers are fed. Okay, and then uh, somewhat, uh, you know, it takes a lot to move uh, these huge boulders and uh, layers of rock, so you, you have to have an earthquake before that will open up and the aquifer waters spring forth which kept the waters beneath from overflowing out onto the land surface above them. In this mountain rim basin, then a fertile and well-populated land, Adam and Eve, or at least their descendants of a few generations later settled. Okay, again, both Compare and Swift teach that Adam was not the first man. The race of Adam was not the first race. There were Asians, there were Africans, and who knows what else, flourishing on this planet before... Yahweh placed Adam and Eve in the garden. You who study these lessons already know that Adam was not the first man. He was the only first man of the present white race. Notice he says the present white race, because there's archaeological evidence that Cro-Magnon, which is totally Caucasian, the shape of the skulls and the skeletons show prove that Cro-Magnon was Caucasian, except for the fact that they had bigger skulls than we do today. They had more brain capacity than we do today. Adam and Eve found this land to which they had come already populated by an Asiatic people and probably by white people as well, among whom they had to live. Through the following generations, the inevitable happened. Wherever there is integration, intermarriages, and mongrelization of the races follows. If Yahweh had no purposes in mind which could not be properly served by the Asiatic and Negro races, there would have been no no reason for him to create Adam. Neither could the purposes which Adam and his descendants were intended to serve be fulfilled by a mongrelized race, that's for sure. The consequences of this mongrelization are described in Genesis 6-5. Okay, so... Very good analysis by Bertrand Compare of this situation. And, of course, they're trying to reproduce the, this uh, mongrelization that occurred in those days. They're trying to reproduce it in these latter days. So don't be fooled. The problems of the world are not caused by nationalism. <laughs> the problems in the world are caused by the Jewish pro- program of racial integration. Okay, so, uh, all right, so let's see. Okay, yeah, uh, Swamp Fox says, uh, we lost a lot of Christian Israel leaders in this year, Rick Adams being one, yes. Uh, uh, And uh, a lot of people within identity, you know, people known to me have passed on this year. So, but uh, they're going to a better place, as we like to say, and uh, they'll be coming back. They'll be coming back that uh, with, with that uh, in the clouds, that cloud of witnesses that's in the sky. It's in actually in another dimension. But they'll be coming back when the time is right, okay, with the second coming. They'll be coming back. So, and he quotes Genesis 6, 5. And Yahweh saw that the wickedness of man was great in the, in the land, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil 
continually, uh, kind of like today, right? <laughs> Even Christians, the thoughts in their minds are evil continually, as Paul prophesied in First and Second Timothy and uh, in, in other books as well, that uh, in these end times uh, there would be tremendous evil everywhere. And even the Israelites uh, were talking about the great apostasy, the falling away of the true Israelites from the true faith. And also in the book of Revelation, chapter 3, the, uh, the antinomians, the lukewarm church, which is the final church of the seven ages. It doesn't get any lukewarm, more lukewarm than the churches are today. They have totally abandoned the true teachings of the Bible deny the value of works, deny that the law even exists, etc., etc. And, of course, they're all waiting to be raptured. Okay. So, the question for them is, uh, have you taken your shot yet? <laughs> if you take the shot, you will not be raptured. Because the Bible clearly says, if you take the mark of the beast, it's all over for you. Anyway, he continues. We find the word there, mistranslated earth, is the Hebrew word Eretz, again, which only means the land, that particular land. There is a reason for using this Hebrew word. This was the place where integration and marginalization had taken place, with degenerative effects as compared to the qualities possessed by each race separately. So, this didn't take place in Africa. There were no white people. There's no archaeological evidence of white people in Africa until white people went down there and started investigating. What's this dark continent? Who lives there? What can we find there? And it wasn't until white people went down to explore Africa that white and black race eventually found each other. Now, of course, in the history of Egypt, because Egypt was at the northern end of Africa, and the Nile River has many places where you can easily, uh, well, you have to uh, go upstream. And then there's a lot, many cataracts, so you have to work your way around the cataracts. But this is the only way that the white people of Egypt could in- interface with the blacks of Africa. So for whatever reason, uh, the blacks did not migrate up north. They were, ca- If anything, they were captured by the Egyptians, the white, the Adamic Egyptians, and taken north uh, as slaves. Uh, so it was the it was Egypt uh, with its exploring further south that ran into the black population. And I think the reason why the black population did not migrate north along the Nile River is because they simply are not farmers. Blacks do not farm. They have always been hunter-gatherers, and they are still hunter-gatherers even today. Many Many white people have tried to turn blacks into farmers with no success, absolutely no success. So in that, in that respect, they're very much like Jews. <laughs> they can't farm. They haven't got the patience to wait six months for, for the seeds to germinate. They, Pastor Martins have, has explained many times how the South, South Africa, white, the white South Africans have tried to turn blacks into farmers with zero success. They are simply not interested. They are still hunter-gatherers, even after thousands and thousands of years. So, let's continue. 
In Genesis 6-9, the King James Bible tells us Noah was perfect in his generations. A meaningless phrase. Well, if you know what the word perfect means, and generations meaning he was uh, perfect in his descent, his DNA descent, it means he was not race mixed. He was a pure-blooded Adamite. A meaningless phrase, as translated, of course. Because the word generation can be taken to mean you know, 40 years of time, which it doesn't mean is his descent. When anything in the King James Bible fails to make good sense, it is a sign that you should go behind the mistranslation and see what the words were in the original Hebrew or Greek. The word here translated generations was the Hebrew word tolada, which means ancestry. Noah was perfect in his ancestry, a purebred not a mongrel. Noah and his family were the last remaining pure-blooded Adamites in the world. Well, not, not necessarily the whole world, but this area. Because the archaeological evidence shows that even when Europe was covered by glaciers, we're talking 11,000 BC, even when Europe was covered by glaciers, the western coast of Europe had settlements there's evidence of all by white men. There were settlements by white men. So these could be descendants of Adam and Eve that migrated to the West and settled on the West Coast of Europe. And those settlements, I mean, they, they have been extensively uh, researched by archaeologists and have been dated according to the usual dating methods. And this would be the, the uh, Atlantic coast would be the only area where uh, Europe under cover of glaciers, would have been habitable, okay? And uh, when the Israelites migrated north into the wilderness, yeah, it says it was a wilderness. Yeah, why? It was covered by glaciers for thousands of years, okay? But uh, when those glaciers retreated and the forests began of Europe began to spring up, it was the perfect migration place for the Adamic peoples, for Israel. So that whole area was kept free of population since 11,000 B.C. And it's just really a matter of uh, tracking the glaciers. And the glaciers covered North America at the same time. Uh, We have what's called the moraines. The moraines are the terminal points of the glaciers. They went no further south. And uh, we have in Illinois, right at the Wisconsin border, we have what's called the Kettle Moraine area. And uh, huge boulders, 50, 100 ton boulders were pushed by these glaciers from the north to the south. And geologists can trace the, the origin of such boulders by comparing the, the nature of the rock and determine pretty much how far such gigantic boulders were pushed by the glacier. So the entire northern hemisphere is circled by these moraines in North America, Europe, and Asia. So this gives you a a perfect line of demarcation where the glaciers stopped and would proceed no further south. Okay, So as this whole area began to melt down and plants were able to regenerate, and of course, Animals, you know, bears, lions, ti- uh, well, not about, maybe not tigers. I don't think we have tigers that far north. Cougars, that sort of thing. 
And uh, all the animals that uh, we're familiar with in the forests of northern Europe and Asia, they began to repopulate. So uh, this whole area of the planet is fairly new compared to the rest of the planet because it was covered with glaciers. Anyway, so, and he's absolutely right. When anything in the King James Bible fails to make sense, we should look up the words, okay? So, so Noah and his family were the last remaining pure, pure blood in the territory. I would use the word territory, not planet. Therefore, Yahweh needed to save them to carry out the purposes he had planned for the Adamic people. The mongolized people among whom Noah and his family lived must be removed, or they would be a trap which would eventually lead to the complete end of the pure-blooded Adamites. And in that statement, he is 100% correct. Have we had any other evidence to support our view that this was the region where Adam and Eve and their descendants settled? Yes, remember that Adam and Eve were driven out of Eden to the eastward. Later, when Cain murdered Abel and as a punishment was banished from the land where Adam and Eve lived, Genesis 4.16 tells us, Cain went out from the presence of Yahweh and dwelt in the land of Nod on the east of Eden. The Hebrew word Nod means wandering. So he was just wandering around toward the east. In the upper Tigris and Euphrates valleys north of Eden, these rivers were running swiftly downhill from their mountain sources. Again, I would have to speculate that we may also be talking about the, the, uh, the flatlands uh, southeast Russia, which would be west of China, okay, west of Mongolia, that could be the area where Adam and Eve dwelt and where Noah's flood occurred. That, that, uh, that's very possible. So, uh, that, that hu- hu- huge area of, uh, I, I can't think of the word they use for that area in, in uh, that territory, but it's the, it's not the Velt. <laughs> But they have a term for these flatlands, which uh, were like grassy lands and almost devoid of trees, just like the uh, plains uh, in uh, of the west uh, from Illinois westward. There were not a lot of trees. They have a prairie. We call it prairie over here. For whatever reasons, the trees wouldn't grow so much in this area. So this is the type of land that uh, was existing north of Mesopotamia, north of the Black Sea and the Caspian Sea. Further to the south, oh, okay, uh, let's see, she says, therefore they cut deep channels into the ground, okay, these uh, these two rivers, Tigris and Euphrates, were running swiftly downhill from their mountain sources, cut deep channels into the ground, even today we can find the traces of the ancient diversion dams built by the ancients to raise the water level up close to the surface of the ground. Then they would not have to pump it so high to get to their irrigation canals. Farther to the south, in the lower Tigris and Euphrates valleys, where the slope was no longer steep, the accumulation of silt picked up by the rivers where they ran swiftly was now settling to the bottom of the riverbeds, constantly raising the lever, level, and created a kind of a tundra effect where the water spreads out and irrigates a wider and wider area. So this was a very, very fertile area because of the silt. That's uh, the breadbasket, <laughs> right? The uh, fertile crescent, as it's called. 
Every high water season, the rivers overflowed their banks and flooded the valleys. Well, the same thing applied in Egypt. And uh, it was the annual flooding of the Nile River that uh, made it very fertile. So it was only white people who exploited this fertility. Therefore, it was correctly called the land of Nod, the land of wandering. Here Cain settled and taught the people to build high dikes along the riverbanks, just as we have done along the banks of the Mississippi River. This enabled them to stop the annual floods. Well, I wouldn't have been able to stop them, but uh, a major control mechanism, uh, just like we do with dams today. Uh, the, the backwater of a dam creates uh, a lake, right? And uh, people have dwelt along these lakes. Uh, even the Black Sea was once a, a purely uh, saltwater-free lake, freshwater lake, until uh, the the straits down at Constantinople at one time broke and seawater rushed in into the, what is now the, the Black Sea. So we can see that the land has changed its shape considerably from the days of Noah until now. So, continuing, this enabled them to stop the annual floods, or exploit the annual floods, I would put it, so they could now build permanent cities of good houses in the lower Tigris and Euphrates valleys, the land then called by its own inhabitants Sumer, and later Chaldea. In the very few places in the Bible, calls it the plain of Shinar. Cain went back westward from where Adam and Eve lived. It was thus that that Cain started his great empire. Yes, Cain is a well-known historical character found not only in the Bible. However, he is known in history under another name. Cain established an empire which extended from the Persian Gulf to the Mediterranean Sea and even took in some of the larger islands in the Mediterranean Sea. Someday I will tell you about Cain and his empire but that is another story. Well, the Greeks, the Greeks uh, commemorate Cain in their uh, you know, panoply of gods. Another bit of evidence is found in Genesis 11:2, which t- and so do the Chinese. Uh, the dragon, <laughs> Genesis 11:2, which tells us that after the flood, Noah's descendants journeyed from the east until they came to the land of Shinar. Therefore, they must have come from someplace east of the Tigris and Euphrates valleys, or northeast. The only place where such a flood as the Bible describes could have occurred eastward from the Tigris and Euphrates valleys is the mountain basin in Sinkayang, which I have talked about. More evidence is found in the high water mark found in many places along the mountains, which rim this basin, showing that at one time this basin was a lake, extending to this well-marked shoreline. The mountains which rimmed this valley, were not fully covered, for many of them range from 16,000 to 25,000 feet in height, and one even rises to over 28,000 feet. But within the basin are several smaller mountains, which could be fully covered by a flood held within the higher rim of the valley. This basin, though which uh, through which flows the Tarim and Tarim River, and which is sometimes known as the Tarim Basin in southern Sinkayang, is identified as the site of Noah's flood. In the King James Bible, Genesis 7, verses 11 through 12, reads as follows, In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, the 17th day of the month, 
The same day were all the fountains of the great deep broken up, and the windows of heaven were opened. The rain was upon the land forty days and forty nights. Now, it's certainly possible that this rain, it rained forty days and forty nights all over the world. Because the, the rains came from the sky, and various different uh, theories have been proposed. Uh, it's been proposed that the earth had a ring, had a series of rings around it, such as, uh, I think, uh, Saturn still has rings. Neptune, I think, has rings, etc., etc. So there could have been rings around the earth, which are typically composed of ice and other kinds of debris. If this uh, ring system collapsed, that would explain where all this rain came from. Okay. There's also another theory uh, proposed that the, the Earth uh, was visited by another planet, such as Mars, because Mars has all the evidence that it once contained a lot of water. And in the, the proximity of Mars, uh, which uh, the Noah caused the rains, and possibly also at the same, simultaneously destroying our ring system, that you could see where why it would rain for 40 days straight. The rain was upon the earth for 40 days and 40 nights. A more careful translation makes it clear what really happened. In Moffat's modern English translation, we read, quote, The fountains of the great abyss burst, and the sluices of heaven were opened. Okay, so we have water from above, and water from below. Smith in Goodspeed's American translation says, quote, The fountains of the great abyss were all broken open, and the windows of the heavens were open. So we have two different sources of water. Now were these uh, the aquifers of the entire planet opened? Would they have affected this region where Noah's Ark was? I don't think so, folks. <laughs> That's too far away. Only the local aquifers would have been affected. The great earthquake broke up this waterproof layer of rock over the immense water-filled abyss of or cavern beneath this Terran basin, causing the floor of the valley to settle and allowed the enormous underground reservoir to overflow and submerge the valley floor. This is, again, something we need to consider. The earthquakes, uh, the land may have sunk not just the Tarim Basin opening, uh, you know, the aquifer opening up, the entire area may have sunk, and uh, which would, you know, because this area was way more fertile in those days than it is now. And uh, when you go to a lower uh, level of sea level on the land, it tends to create a desert, just like California is a, a desert. Without irrigation, Southern California would still be a desert. The great earthquake in the Himalaya Mountains several years ago produced similar effects in some places. Of course, the 40 days of torrential rains added to the flood. This filled the valley high enough to submerge the mountains or hills which were inside the valley, exactly as Genesis 7, 19-20 says, Don't be misled by the mistranslation, and all the high hills that were under the whole heaven were covered. <laughs> All right, the word mistranslated heaven is the Hebrew word shameh, meaning the sky. Since this Terran Basin is somewhat more than 350 miles wide by more than 650 miles long, all the sky visible from anywhere near the center of this valley would cover only this valley, and therefore only those lower mountains which were within the valley itself. What about Genesis 8.4 reading? And I see I have about three minutes left. 
quote, and the ark rested in the seventh month on the seventeenth day of the month upon the mountains of Ararat. Sometimes failure to translate can be as misleading as mistranslation. Most people understand this to mean Mount Ararat in Armenia, some 1,600 miles west of the Terran Basin. This is not what the Bible says. First of all, note it reads mountains of Ararat, mountains being in the plural, while Mount Ararat in Armenia is only a single peak. However, Mount Ararat in Armenia was known until comparatively recent times as Mount Massis, M-A-S-S-I-S, Nobody had ever heard of it being called Mount Ararat in Bible times. Furthermore, the Hebrew word Ararat means only the tops of the hills. Therefore, correctly translated, Genesis 8.4 only says the ark came to rest upon the top of the high hills, some of the lower mountains which were within the valley. A recent newspaper report mentions an expedition equipped with the latest electronic equipment, which is going to Mount Ararat in Armenia, so this was written around sometime in the 1960s, to find the Ark. The expedition will melt the ice, which covers what they think is the Ark, by coating it with black powdered carbon. They won't find the Ark because it isn't there. <laughs> Several ex- expeditions have gone to Mount Ararat to find the Ark. Some of them got within sight of a mass on the side of the mountain, which from that particular point of view looked to be shaped somewhat like a ship. That point has been very carefully inspected from there. Again, this was, this was before the work of Ron Wyatt, which did locate actual Noah's Ark in the hills of Ararat. When we carefully examine the whole affair and correct the mistranslations, we find that there is no conflict between what the Bible really says and either science or history. Thank you very much. In fact, there is never any such conflict. It is only the preachers who find themselves contradicted either by science or history. This is only because they either won't take the trouble to find out what the Bible really says, or they have made the mistranslation of supposedly sacred church doctrine, and now they are stuck with it. Don't let any church shake you your faith in the Bible. The Bible is always right, even if the preachers are wrong, and folks, the Judeo preachers are always wrong. Thanks for listening. Praise Yahweh, pass the ammunition. We are out of time. Take care, everybody. See you later on today for Restoration Hour. Yahweh bless from the the mountains of Chicago. (laughs) The only mountains here are the skyscrapers. Thanks for listening. Take care. Yahweh bless everybody. Bye-bye.